Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome here. There was a church planter and a missionary who was in his upper 50s, and he was visiting a city where he had planted a church, and beyond planting a church, he had spent a significant amount of time there, had actually gotten a job, supported himself, and just poured himself out on behalf of the church. And he was feeling called to go to travel to another city, and the Lord had made it clear to this missionary and church planter that he probably would not, uh, he would probably die in some way at the city where he was going. So he gathered together with the church leaders, and as he was wrapping up and ready to leave, he was giving them some advice and just reminiscing about what God had, had done on their behalf. And he started saying that after I'm gone, there's going to be uh, evil men coming in and attacking the church. And as leaders, I need you to, you know, you need to be prepared and do this. And I'm going to commit you to the grace of God, which can build you up. And I want you to work hard to support the weak. And the last thing he said is, I want you to remember that it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so the church planter was Paul, and he was at Ephesus quoting Jesus. And I found it fascinating that the last thing he wanted them to know is it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. And that was his parting, parting words of advice. So this morning, I feel led to continue to look at, uh, at the idea of stewardship and specifically on the idea of giving uh, today. If we, can, if we can get this to run here. Find uh, what we had talked about the last time. And so just in a nutshell, um, looking at, at Luke 16, we're reminded that we are to use our money generously to invest in heavenly treasure. Uh, faithfulness is our primary goal. Decisions reveal our spiritual condition and that all I have is actually God's for me to steward and we cannot serve more than one master. But while it's going to be centered or our thoughts often go to money, uh, when we think about giving, I want to encourage you to broaden that a little bit and to think about anything that you have. So whether it's money or whether it's time, talents, um, or things, I would like us just to think through those categories of what does it mean, what is God calling us to when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive. So again, thinking about money, time, talents, or things. Um, and there's lots of examples of people who give a lot of time and talents um, when it comes to giving. A couple of the questions that might come to mind when you think about giving, who do I give to? How much should I give? Do you ever wonder if your giving makes any difference at all? Anybody ever wonder that? Or what if things are too tight for me to give right now? So those are some questions that often go through our minds. Um, I want us to keep this in context as we look at the scripture today. And this is not, in saying this, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty about this. I recognize that, I mean, God has blessed us. And it is the, but I want us to just put where we are in the global context. Um, I just think it does us good to keep this in mind. So right now today, 71% of the world lives on an income of $10 or less. So 10 bucks or less is at 71% of the world. 84% um, comes in at less than $20 a day. And these are numbers as of 2015. So 20 bucks a day puts you at 84% of the world. If we go up to $50 a day, which might sound like a lot, but it's $18,000 annually. So a $50 bill 
93% of the world lives on less than that. Um, and so I think, I just think that we have to keep in mind that the, uh, that what God has given us to manage, I mean, we are in the upper 5% of the world that God trusts us to manage our resources. Now, I understand we couldn't live on 20 bucks a day. I'm not trying to say that, that we could here, but I just think we have to keep that, keep those things in mind. Um, I invite you to flip or open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8. That's where we're going to be, uh, the passage we're looking at today. And just a little bit of background here. The church in Jerusalem is going through an extremely hard time, and we don't know why exactly. We know that there was a famine, and we know that they were persecuted, and they had to be on the run. And so those things may have led them to be very poor. We don't know all of the facts, but the church in Jerusalem was extremely poor. And Paul, as he went around, would talk about their need. And there was a church, uh, the church in Corinth actually probably was the catalyst in, with Paul, the idea of giving an offering to help out the church in Jerusalem. So they said, yes, they are willing to give, and it sounds like they pledged a large and generous gift. And then Paul was going to come back later and pick it up and take it to Jerusalem. So out of this, uh, other churches in the area got on board with helping out. And the passage, um, the passage that we're going to look at is, is Paul writing to them. Um, after they had gotten excited about the idea, it seems like they had kind of lost steam and hadn't followed through. So can anybody relate to having good intentions, having a great idea? And sometimes it, it just has a hard time happening. So that's, that's what Paul's going to address here. Um, but before we get into that, I'll just, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read in 1 Corinthians 16 the background um, of, of all of this. So now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So this is kind of the, the start of the idea. And they're going to say, you know what? Each of you, as you feel led, set aside an amount at the beginning of the week for this um, and be saving up to give, to give this amount. So everybody was going to participate in this. They're not given direction. It's not one of those situations where they say, everybody's going to contribute $10 a week. Everybody is supposed to give as they, as they feel directed, as they're prospered. And one of the things that we see out of this is that giving could and should be a part of our, our everyday worship and when we gather, that giving is a part of our worship. Okay, now let's go to the passage we're going to look at today primarily in 2 Corinthians 8, and then we're going to... Uh, skip over the middle section, and then look at 2 Corinthians 9. So here, uh, here he is. Now this, keep in mind, this is a year later. So what I just read was the idea, and now a year later they hadn't gotten it done. And the big question is, is the church going to follow through on the giving that they had set out to do? Are they going to be able to follow through? And let's answer that question. In the passages, God is, is addressing uh, the heart of giving, and the effects or what happens when we as believers give generously. And again, think beyond money, but it is centered around money. And we'll just go through this, uh, looking at it a verse or two at a time. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given 
among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So Macedonia is up in the northern part of Greece, and Corinth is down in the southern part of Greece. And Paul is saying, I want to remind you about the grace of God in this Macedonian church. So one of the things I think that we need to keep in mind when we think about giving is that it's actually the grace of God in our heart that enables us to give and actually even makes us want to give. That giving is, is literally grace, uh, the grace of God poured out uh, into our lives. So then, look at how he describes them. He says, in a severe test of affliction, then the next part says, out of that, there's an abundance of joy. So you have severe affliction resulting in abundant joy. And then you have extreme poverty and a wealth of generosity. So you have the descriptions that feel like they should be headed opposite directions. So they, they're in a very bad situation, but because of God's grace, there's literally abundance of joy in their heart. They're extremely poor, and they have a wealth of generosity. And just to give an idea of how bad the affliction was, um, listen to Paul describing his time in Macedonia. In, this is one chapter earlier. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. In other words, it was a serious situation. This is the Apostle Paul describing how bad it is in Macedonia. And somehow out of that, these people who had known what it was to receive the grace of God and wanted to pass it on out of joy and wanted to help uh, the church in Jerusalem. Okay, so let's keep going to verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. So they gave according to their means. And I think that's one of the things that we need to keep in, in our minds as we think about giving. God, just, God expects us to give according to our means. We can get so focused on, on the amount and God is saying, I want you to give according to our means. And then they went beyond that. If, if I think about the term of giving until it hurts, I mean, this would probably be even more, that's probably not even strong enough to describe what they're giving out of. And I find it interesting in verse 4 that they are begging for the right to do this. And we all know what it's like uh, probably as parents to have our children beg, but it's typically begging to get things. Um, but here, this church was saying, because of God's grace, they were literally begging to give. Um, and it says the, they wanted the favor, or that's the idea of the grace, taking part in the relief, or the word is actually the fellowship of the saints. And verse 5 to me, I think, is key as I look at understanding what is the, at the heart of giving as a follower of Christ. And it says that they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then out of that, uh, they gave themselves out of giving themselves to the Lord. So when we think about giving, the first thing we're doing is actually giving ourselves to God, and then he directs where, uh, where our giving goes beyond that. Okay, then in verse 6, Accordingly, we urge Titus, that as he had started, so he should complete among you 
this act of grace. So again, they, they set out to do this. I think their giving was dwindling. And Titus is coming to try to help them remember uh, to give to help out with this. And again, he calls it an act of grace. Verse 7, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. So they were, we know the church was, was excelling in these other areas, in other arenas um, of spiritual gifting. And in Romans, giving is listed right there uh, in the list of spiritual gifts. And he's saying, you're so worried about excelling in all of these other areas and try to excel in the act of grace of giving as well. And I have to admit, this is a little bit of a new idea for me and one that I need to grow in, that do we see giving as a way of actually growing in our relationship with God and in spiritual maturity? So see too that you excel in the act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. So he's basically saying we're going to hold up what others are doing in this area to see if your love is genuine. Can you imagine how that might feel to say, I want to test your giving against some other's giving to see if your love is genuine. And that is literally what he's saying here. That if, if our love is genuine and it, it's born out of a flow of God's grace, somehow we have an outflow of it. And again, I think this goes far beyond money. But it is a test of the genuineness or the earnestness of our love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Again, just note, note how grace is woven throughout all of this. That giving is literally an extension of grace. And then the ultimate example of giving is Jesus, though he is rich, he becomes poor so that we can be rich in him. Verse 10, and in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So again, just reminding them to, to finish what they started. But I love verse 12. If the readiness is there, if basically if we want to give and the readiness to give is there in God's eyes, that is an acceptable gift because God knows what we can and can't give. So the readiness is the foundational part of this that has to be there. Am I willing to give? Do I want to give? And that we are judged according to what we have not according to what we do not have. An example of this uh, is in Mark 12, where Jesus is watching, watching people come and put their offerings in. And he's watching people that are coming along with, you know, with a lot of money and putting it in. And then he sees a lady come along, and it says that she has, has two coins that actually equal up to one penny. And he's watching her and saying that, look, she actually gave more than the large gifts that you saw going in. Because she gave out of, they gave out of abundance, and she gave out of her poverty what she had to live on. 
And so I think when we, when we look at giving, in our minds, we tend to look on how much we're giving. And I think in God's mind, he sees that, but he sees what we have and what we're managing. And that is, again, it ties back to what we had talked about two weeks ago, the idea of being faithful. That God is much more concerned with faithfulness and what we have left than the actual amount of what we are giving. So I find this very encouraging. You're not responsible for what you don't have. You're only responsible for what you have, and those gifts can be uh, impactful. Okay, let's keep going in the end of this uh, chapter. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that is a matter of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. So they, in case they were worried that, well, are we going to be burdened? And he's saying no, and, and others not burdened. He's just saying when it comes to meeting needs, I want everybody to do their part. And one way to think about this, he's not saying everybody should have the same amount. Because if that were true, he would have said that this church should have sent an offering to the people in Macedonia who were so poor. He's not even saying that. He's just saying, I want you to help them help the church in Jerusalem. So there should be shared, uh, shared giving, shared sacrifice. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. And that's referencing uh, and children of Israel in the wilderness gathering manna and the idea that God meets, he knows what we need, and he meets each of our needs. So we're going to skip over a section. I will just tell you briefly what is addressed there, and then we'll pick up again in chapter 9 and verse 6. So here, uh, the part we're not reading, Titus and several brothers are going to come and try to remind them to give, and they're going to make plans to deliver the gift. So they're going to have a team of people. They're going to send a letter. Basically, they're making sure that there's accountability and openness to how the money is being used. And they were going to visit to basically help them follow through, and later Paul is planning to come and pick up the gift. Um, if they follow through, he's going to pick it up and take it um, over to Jerusalem. All right, so let's skip forward to chapter 9 uh, and verse 6 is where we'll pick up again. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. This is very straightforward. Whatever you plant will determine your harvest. Whatever you plant will determine your harvest. And I, one of the things that I find encouraging is that giving does include the idea of future blessing. And again, I would tie that back to what we looked at in Luke of eternal rewards. So if we are to sow, we want to sow bountifully because I assume that we all want to reap bountifully. And so if, you're, if you read this again and think, well, does bountiful mean a big amount? And what if I don't have a big amount? Just encourage you to think back what we just talked about. It's not about the amount, but does it come out of a generous and a caring heart that we can sow bountifully and reap bountifully? Um, this concept is talked about a lot in the Bible. I'll just point out a few other places. In Luke 6, uh, verse 38 says, Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Proverbs 11, 24, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters 
will himself be watered. I find that so interesting that the end of verse 24 says, another withholds what he should rightfully be giving and it only suffers once. So I, again, I don't think we can read this and say that if I give, I will never suffer want. But this is, it's Proverbs and it's saying in general, this is the principles, this is how it works. That if we are willing to give, um, typically there's blessing that comes back. Okay, so the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So I want to just think about this a little bit. Um, and we hear part of this verse quoted a lot, God loves a cheerful giver. But he does lay out how we're supposed to give. And the first part of it is that as each person has decided in his heart. And so I see that giving is to be just an act of worship. That's something that I, I do with the Lord and decide ahead of time how much I'm going to give. There's and there's multiple ways to look at generosity. There's the kind of spontaneous generosity where you meet somebody, they ask you for something, and what do you do? Um, two weeks ago, as, right before I was going to preach about money, there was a lady in the back who said she needed gas money. So kind of had to decide on the spot. Do I believe her? Do I not? Does it matter? Do I help her out? Um, so there's those generosity on the spot questions. But there is the side of giving that is, that's intentional and planned. Um, so we're to, we're to look ahead and plan. And I want to just talk a little bit about tithing here. Just take a little bit of a detour. I hope it doesn't, doesn't feel like we're getting off topic on a rabbit hole. But um, again, we talk, when we think about tithing, please hear me, it is a very good concept. But in the New Testament, it's not necessarily um, commanded, and neither is it necessarily saying that we shouldn't. Um, but I think it's much more that we are decide, to decide in our heart um, what we are to give. And just a little bit of background on the tithing. When we hear a tithe, we think 10%, and that's literally what the word means. And if you were an Israelite, you actually had to tithe three times a year and then give offerings on top of that. So three times a year, you would give 10%. Anyway, people who are adding it up, if you want to get technical, it lands more in the 23% percent zone of what you made um, is, is what Israelites were, um, were required to give. So again, please hear me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't tithe. I think setting aside 10% intentionally is awesome, and it is an act of worship, and I think it's something that we should do. If you're like me, I will confess that sadly, if I just keep my giving to that, I start looking at giving as a bill. So basically, my tithe is a bill, but it's just the first one that I pay. And I think, you know, yeah, again, there's value in intentionally giving. But as I study this, I think there's far more than that, that it's it, literally whatever God lays in our heart to give, it is, it is worship. It's grace in and grace out. Um, and so I guess let's not just limit ourselves to a tithe, if that makes sense. I'm not speaking negatively of it, but I realize in my own life that I have minimized giving uh, and just kind of let that concept be the extent of what I think about. Again, here is, and here's where the tithing principle comes from out of Proverbs. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So it's, it's taught here. It's taught all throughout the Old Testament. Um, 
and it is, I shouldn't say, and it is referenced in the New Testament in a positive way. Um, Jesus told the Pharisees they should have tithed, but not left the other things undone. So however we do this, let's find a way to honor God with the first fruits of our produce. And let's uh, just want to look a little bit more at the verse. It says that it should, giving should be done uh, not reluctantly. And the word there actually has the idea of sadness or with grief. It's almost like, oh, I'm going to give, but boy, it makes me sad. And then compulsion is the idea of just as giving under pressure or under guilt. Um, God says that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for a cheerful giver. A heart that trusts God, that believes in God's provision rather than a heart that is scared to give and, and is wanting to look ahead at the future. So God loves a cheerful giver. Going on, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. And I just want us to notice the adjectives here, that we're to give, we're to give cheerfully because God is able to make all grace abound having all sufficiency, all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. Often when, when I struggle to give, I'm wondering, well, what won't be able to happen in the future if I give? And he's saying that if you give, God actually is able to take care of that so you can abound in every good work, in whatever God has called you to do. Giving will allow you to, to God will make a way for you to complete that good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. So again, God in, the, in verse uh, 8, God was saying he can make all these things abound. Here he's saying God supplies both the seed, the things that we plant, and we expect a return, and the bread, what we need for every day, that God supplies all of this. He's going to multiply our seed. So if we're giving, God actually puts more seed or more things that we can invest back into, back into our management so we can invest for greater, um, greater impact and a heart, increasing the harvest of righteousness. And that's where I realized that giving actually is such a way for me to grow in my relationship with God that it, it brings along an increased harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And I just want us to notice the, the promises where when we give with a cheerful, a cheerful heart, he's saying that uh, verse 8, he's going to make you abound in every good work. In verse 10, he's going to supply and multiply your seed and increase your harvest. Verse 11, you're going to be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And again, just notice the terms here. It's, it's every and all and um, very much of, of an abundance that God provides as we give. Verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in the many thanksgivings to God. And isn't that awesome when we give a gift that God directs, it meets a need, and then the result is it, it results in praise and glory to God and increases. Uh, the recipient ends up thanking God for that. And as I look at this, it's just incredible what God takes our teeny little gifts 
And again, is it money? Is it time? Is it talents? Whatever it is. And he blesses it and can make these things happen out of it. Yeah, I'm thinking about the, the Sunday school classes over the last year have been saving money and giving money and sending uh, children to Bible school. Um, the class that meets right back here in the little room is starting to save money to buy chickens so families can, uh, families can support themselves. And that gets pretty exciting in verse, you know, as you see that God promises out of all that giving to meet the need, to receive glory, and to just take it and, and really expand it for his kingdom and for his glory. All right, verses 13 and 14. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. So as I give, it's actually a testimony of this, that I am submitted to the gospel of Christ. Because our natural tendency is, is to get and to keep. And giving is a sign that God has changed us with the gospel um, and expanded our heart to, to do that. And then in verse 14, they were going to long for them and pray for them. So one of the effects of giving is that it actually brings people together. When, you know, over the last years, there's just been many ways that people have given and blessed our family. And that has, has an effect on, on, how, on the relationship. And so when we give, it does bring people together. And one of the things that I think is neat in this story is you have Gentiles who are going to give to the Jews in, in Jerusalem. And there was a lot of contention there. And one of the ways you know, got, that is just proof of the gospel is they give a gift to help out the Jewish people. And it says they're going to, the Jewish people in the end is going to long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. And then he ends this passage with this reminder. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So as I think about giving, I have to put it all in the context of what I have been given. That there's nothing that I'm going to say that describes the gift of God. And so God says, you freely, freely you've received, freely give. And as I look at these passages and think about what, what Jesus gave to me, what type of a giver do I want to be um, in response to that? Oh, and by the way, do you think this church followed through on their giving? So Paul was spending all of this time laying out the heart of giving and the effects of giving. And we are told in Romans 15 that, yes, they did follow through and that Paul and others were able to carry a gift to Jerusalem um, and, and share the blessing with them. So I don't know to what degree if they kept their goal from a year earlier, but they did follow through on giving. Wrapping this up, um, I want to think just a little bit, well, where do you give? So it's, you know, we're talking about all this giving. Um, where do you give? And again, this is focused on money, but I think much broader than that. In, in Scripture, I'll just mention a couple categories of giving on the financial side of it. Um, clearly, the pattern here is to give to the local church. That is, I mean, that is clearly was the expectation. Give to your local church to meet local needs. But in this example, giving to the local church was actually to meet a need far away. And so there's both, there's both kinds of givings. Um, so here are the four categories that i just thinking about this that we're often told to give to. 
Number one is believers in need, and that can be our family, our church, uh, church family and beyond that. Number two, those who are teaching the word. Number three is the efforts of evangelism. And then the last one is we are to give to the poor. And I didn't really cover much about giving to the poor, um, but in studying for this, it's amazing. I think there's something like 2,000 verses expressing either God's heart for the poor or his heart that his people care about the poor. And so the expectation when we give is very clear that we should give, yes, in those contexts, but in a way to help out the poor. And summarizing all of this, I see that giving is an opportunity for me to allow God to mature my life and to expand his kingdom. Giving is an opportunity to allow God to to mature my life and to expand his kingdom. One uh, other verse here in closing that I wanted want you to see. So Philippians, the church at Philippi was one of the churches in Macedonia going through the extremely hard, hard time that Paul references in Corinthians. Here he is writing to Philippians, the Philippian church, and he is saying before this that the Philippian church was one of the only ones that supported Paul throughout his whole ministry. So the very same church that is going through, you remember the adjectives, terrible adversity, and poverty, they supported him throughout his whole ministry. And at the end of of Philippians 4, where they want to send a gift, and he's saying that he can be content in any situation, this is what he tells them. He's saying that, yes, I'll accept your gift. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. So I want to just encourage you as you think about giving in any area of life, that somehow there is increase to your credit, whether that happens now or in eternity. And the word for credit um, literally is account. So Paul was saying, I want you to give because I'm so excited about the benefit in your account when you give. And so whether you're really young listening to this or older and regardless of your financial situation, um, I just want us to encourage all of us that when we give, There's blessing in it, and God can expand that far beyond um, anything that we can ever imagine that he'd do with it. And it's always an act of grace. It's always God is putting his grace in my heart, and I want to pass that on. And whenever I do that, God puts more grace in my heart so that I can pass more grace on. And it's it's meant to flow flow through us that way. So uh, throughout this week, I hope that God gives you opportunity to Make a gift that literally will credit your account and credit his kingdom. And I know many of you are living, living generously, and I hope that you can, can hear this as an encouragement to continue to do that today. Thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for listening. Um, let's stand, and I want to just ask God's blessing on us as we dismiss from here. Lord, as I consider uh, your word And I consider what you have given me, and I consider my life. Um, Lord, I don't want to give just out of uh, compulsion or just because it's the right thing to do. God, I want to be obedient, but Lord, I want to give beyond that uh, out of a cheerful heart and uh, just out of an overflow of grace and joy. Um, So God, I just pray for each person here. Um, You know how you have gifted them. 
God, you know the time, the talents they have, you know the money that they manage. And Lord, I pray that you would bless and encourage everyone who is generously passing that on. And God, I pray that you would help each of us to see, um, God, bring us opportunities, but then help us to see the opportunities. Um, Lord, help me to be willing to follow through on, on what you bring as ways to, to give and to pass on grace. Um, so Lord, would you just grow in our hearts, help us to mature for your honor, for your glory. Uh, keep us all safe as we drive home and, and uh, the rest of the day. I pray that we'd be refreshed from a, a Sunday set aside for you. In Jesus' name, amen.